Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Man, hey, good morning, Jen. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, please turn to Acts chapter 12. So I, as I said last time I was up here, I truly enjoy the teaching and the preaching we have here in this pulpit on Tuesday mornings. And the pulpit has power. There's power because there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 12. We left off last week when George talked to us about Herod the Tetrarch, who, as Josephus said, was wearing a robe that was woven of pure silver so that when the sun shone off it, he, he was radiant like the bright sunshine. And he stood and he proclaimed his greatness. And people said he's a god. And he agreed with them. And he didn't shut him down. So in Acts chapter 12, in verses 21 through 24, we see that the angel of the Lord struck him dead because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms. His internal deadness erupted from his guts and all of his radiant brilliance was covered with worms and guts. But then we see in verse 24 that the word of God did not die because the word of God will never die. We read, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Why did it multiply? People tried to kill the gospel, but nothing can kill the eternal word of God. When grace is declared by God, through his son Jesus Christ, imposters like Herod will try to take God's glory away from him, but no one can take the glory away from God. They will be eaten by worms. They will corrupt. They will waste away. Their words will fade away, but the word of God is forever. It's incorruptible. It's indefeatable. It's incapable of error. It's inspired. Man has been trying to kill the Word of God, to burn the Word of God, to martyr the people that preach the Word of God, but the Word of God will only increase and grow. It is never outdated. It is never irrelevant. It is never going to fade. So if you look in uh, chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, we're going to read that the the church um, had men praying And the Lord came to them, and verses 2 through 3 says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You know, this happened about nine years after Paul saw Jesus and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He had nine years of preparation. And I just say to you men, don't be in a hurry. Sometimes God takes time. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has a mission for you that you must be preparing for. You cannot um, have a lackluster faith in Jesus Christ 
and say, I'm just waiting. You must improve. You must study. You must prepare yourself with the very words of God that we have in the form of a book. You know, it will blind men's ignorance. And what they will see is the brilliant radiance of the Word of God coming through you. But sometimes that takes time, so don't be in a hurry. It took Paul about nine years. Uh, you know, there might have been other teams that went out, but this is what Dr. Luke recorded. He recorded when Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. And you see in that text what the people did. They prayed, they fasted, they asked God for guidance, and then they commissioned two very devout men to go out and spread the word of God, to spread the gospel. Do you see that they prayed, they fasted, they asked God for guidance, and then they acted? Is there a teaching moment in that, in our prayer? In, in what uh, Abraham Lincoln called our nation to fasting during the Civil War, and people knew what that was. You know, do you ever take the time to pray and to fast, to seek God's guidance before you move? Well, we're going to look at some slides of the maps of the places that Paul and Barnabas went to. We'll only take a few minutes on this because it can get very complicated. All right, so here we have the starting point in Antioch. You see the arrows. They're going to go everywhere. And this is during a two-year time period. And what I want us to take away from this is kind of a verse I'm going to key on. We're not going to spend the whole time on it. It's just the third point. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So they started off in Antioch. And then they, they went here. And this is where they find uh, Bar-Jesus, the son of the devil. This is where John Mark went AWOL. And they sailed across. They went to Perga, had more persecution. They went to Antioch and Pisidia, where Paul preached the first sermon we have of Paul. And he faced more persecution. And then they went to Iconium, and they faced even more persecution. And then they went to Lystra, where there was a healing of a cripple. And they said, you guys are the gods come to life. And they called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes. And then Jews came from afar away, and they stirred the people up, and they stoned Paul, tried to kill him. So um, in this last slide, we see that they, they retraced their steps all the way back through all those places in order to find out how the churches were doing. Fourteen places in all in two years. These guys were on the move, and the gospel was on the move. So what we're going to see from this text that we have, a large text, all the way from 12 to the end of 14, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ obligates all believers. The gospel of Jesus Christ angers all unbelievers. And the gospel of Jesus Christ appoints some to believe and some to unbelief. So he appoints believers and unbelievers. So the first thing we'll see is the gospel of Jesus Christ obligates all believers. Your salvation is not dependent in any one bit upon what you do for God. However, once you have received 
the gift of God and you realize you were born in sin and you don't have the ability to not sin. You will always sin. Your absolute best effort is said to be like filthy rags. You cannot earn your salvation. God shows you to be a believer. You don't please God. Only Jesus can please God. You don't satisfy God's wrath. The only thing that satisfies the wrath of God is the bloody cross of Jesus Christ through which we have forgiveness of sins. It's sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus, sola del gloria. By faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. The solas of the Reformation. So once you receive the gospel, you possess within you the greatest treasure that could ever be found. It's a treasure of unspeakable, eternal value. And you, if you've accepted that, you have been commanded by the one who shed his perfect blood to tell everybody the good news. So where do I get this? Let's look at these verses. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I believe that's a command for us. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Another command called the Great Commission. And in Acts 1.8, the theme of Acts is, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. Another commission. So what is the obligation that is assumed upon us when we, when we love people, when we just listen to them, and when we are concerned with them as humans, knowing that we have the ultimate treasure? We need to show the radiant glory of God through everything we say and do. If you look in verse 1337, we see that Paul was preaching a sermon, and I take one line from that. He whom God has raised up saw no corruption. Through this man is the forgiveness of sins. Do you know that Jesus wasn't the first person that raised from the dead, right? There were others that raised from the dead, but they had corruptible bodies. Their bodies started to rot and stink. Yet we see in this scripture that the Son of God, when he was put in the tomb, saw no corruption. Now our bodies will rot and stink because deep within us is the decomposing, death-giving sin of our nature. However, what the scripture says is our soul will never rot in the grave. Your soul will never corrupt. Salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. None of that can be taken away. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we'll never see corruption. And we need to speak it. But there's a lot of false gospels out there. I'm going to give you a couple of false gospels. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, but my life stinks. Okay? Jesus can change your life if you ask him into, into your heart. Yeah, but nothing has changed. Everything's the same. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, but I feel so alone. 
You know, none of these are the gospel. They might be contained within the gospel, but none of these things are the gospel. Listen, the truth is everybody has a relationship with Jesus. You either accept him as your Lord and Savior or you reject him and you choose to not follow him. Everybody has a relationship with Jesus and we're obligated to share this with people by loving them, by listening to them, by humanizing them and realizing that they have a soul which will corrupt in hell forever if they don't have the gospel. So what we need to do is say, what is the gospel? We need to know who Jesus is, um, what Jesus has done, and what that means for me. So who Jesus is, I turn to the Nicene Creed. And, in, and this says about Jesus, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence of the Father. That's who he is. What has he done in the Nicene Creed? Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. That's what he's done and, and how this benefits me by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, I have the keys to the kingdom. I have eternal life, a soul that will not corrupt. By the substitutionary atonement, Christ paid for my sins on the cross, and I have that within me. So, you know, but men find it hard to share the gospel. It's hard to share with friends and family, right? We forget about the wrath of God in our conversations. We don't enter into the conversation of hell. There's no condemnation from God. That we, we don't recognize that souls decay as we're talking with someone else because we, we forget sometimes that those who do not have Christ have an eternal separation from God. And if we humanize them, it should break our hearts. So what should be pouring from our lips? The who, the what, and the how that affects me of Jesus Christ. Um, it's not comfortable, right? because sometimes it's not appropriate to mix religion and politics. It's not appropriate to, to bring religion into the workplace. That brings me to point number two, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ angers unbelievers. It angers them. It, ob it obligates believers, it angers unbelievers. You know, the question, and this is one of your blanks, is not why don't they listen? The question is, why should they listen? What would make them want to listen? If you're living in hate towards the Almighty God, why would you want to listen to the good news anyway? Why in the world would they listen to me? But listen, the wrath of God is falling against all sin, against all sinners, and God has a holy vengeance to get justice. Sin separates. That, but, but the bad news is that sin separates. The good news is so good. 
once you, once you know what the bad news is, the good news is so good. So if people hate the gospel, they choose hell. C.S. Lewis said those who are in hell choose it. But the truth is, man, there are many people. Think of this. There are many people that are going to hell. That's what, that's what Paul and Barnabas were, were going across the land seeing. And so, just like in Philip's journey, when I, I spoke a few weeks ago, there was a magician and Philip said, go to hell with, with your Satanism. We see that Paul um, faced a man called Bar-Jesus. Bar means son, so his name was son of Jesus, but he was not a son of Jesus. He was a son of the devil. He worshiped in the occult. He tried to change people's minds by bending the future, by saying he could predict the future and trying to convince them that they needed to reject the gospel. Well, just as he was blind to the word of God, God struck him blind in judgment. He tried to, these are I think your blanks, impede, prevent, and dissuade. He tried to impede the gospel, he tried to prevent the gospel, and he tried to dissuade everybody, but he miserably failed in his mission. He miserably failed, and Paul said that he could go to hell with his teaching. So then we uh, look at uh, John Mark. Remember, he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. I don't know what, what caused him to, but remember, the gospel brings anger. And he saw persecution every place they went. And he's like, I'm done with this. And he abandoned them. That was a place where he was afraid. And it was because of the anger that went towards the word of God. So let's look at these verses we have on our screen. Um, in 13.8, uh, there were satanic attacks from the son of the devil, Bar-Jesus. 1345, the Jews were jealous and tried to contradict Paul and Barnabas. In 1350, the Jews incited influential women to help indict and persecute. So they got the women on their side, and they said, hey, hey ladies, you help us try to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. Um, in 14.2, the Jews stirred up and poisoned people's minds. In 1411, the Jews stirred up the Gentiles to worship Paul and Barnabas and call them Zeus and Hermes. And then in 1419, we see um, in kind of a denouement of this text that the Jews stoned Paul and left him for dead. So Paul and Barnabas faced persecution wherever they went. They went with a gospel of love, but people hated them. They assaulted the gospel. And I tell you, men, you need to stand up and an assault on the gospel is an assault on you if the gospel is within you. And you need to say, where is the outrage in our society when things are so counter-gospel? And we live in a crass, aggressive, secular world that attacks my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at every step of my life, and it should cause me outrage holy outrage because the gospel is so true it's a free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ suffered the consequences so that I will never have to suffer the consequences there should be a righteous indignation for sin 
and there should be a righteous indignation when there's an assault against the gospel, it should make us well up with tears when we hear people rejecting the gospel. That's what Paul and Barnabas did because they were no fighting men. They were feeble, they were frail, and they were finite men. And they went village to village. You know, Paul was stoned, not in the way we think of it today, but he was stoned. And what they did is they took large rocks and they started by throwing them on his head. So his skull was probably crushed in. He was left for dead because the gospel angered these people so much. People get angry when you mention the gospel. They might not say it, but they get angry inside because those who do not have the truth of the gospel fight against it. As you go into battle, into total war for the gospel, you must realize that people are going to fight back. But that's okay because we have the strength of God behind us. You know, the flames, the swords, the lions, the rejection, the ridicule. All this stuff, guys, is normal. Why would we expect anything else? Why would we expect people to accept our message when the darkness always fights against the light? Why would we expect anything different when everything is dark but Jesus wipes the slate clean, exonerates our sins, and shines in brilliant light before us. You know, he said our sins can be like the new fallen snow. He wipes them clean with his blood. So when moral standards are broken, God is angry. He's angry against sin. And you know, the, the interesting thing I, I saw recently, uh, or heard recently, was that Alexis de Tocqueville, who said America uh, is great because she is good. Well, he also, when he went around, he saw preachers in the pulpit. He saw preachers preaching righteousness, preaching against sin. And he said the American pulpit, and I quote, is ablaze with righteousness. And then I look back at Martin Luther. You know, he preached some 6,000 sermons in his life. And he barely slept, he preached so often. And what he said is that sermons should not be written, they should be shouted. He said they should be shouted on the hilltops. They should be screamed because the gospel is that important. So we, we see that the gospel um, obligates, the gospel angers, and let's look at this last point. The gospel of Jesus Christ appoints some to belief and some to unbelief. So we look at our verse again, 1348b, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So as we said before, there are people who will go to hell. Some people will believe and go to heaven. So there's people that are believers, there are people that are unbelievers. And, you know, this, this sovereignty of God, where he knows our hearts, is the most comforting, most inspired, most holy doctrine that I think there is. So how is that good news? Well, this text uses the word tetagmenoi, and I, I only say that uh, word in a broken Greek because it's always translated appointment, appointed, chosen, disposed to. 
and and so there are there is some grammatical juggling that theologians do to try to figure out what this verse means okay but when I look at it I say salvation is not a reward for the righteous it's a gift for the guilty salvation is by grace it's a guilt so if you pray to God do you believe that he answers your prayer I mean do you really believe that God hears your prayer I mean you do right you pray for the sick your people prayed for my leg we pray for comforting of the hurting we pray that there's peace in our world we pray that God appoints leaders in our country and across the world because we know that in Romans 13 it says that God appoints leaders we expect God to answer I mean who would want to pray to an impotent God who couldn't answer prayers what point is that? That's foolishness. I believe when I pray, God hears it and he answers me. And he cares. But I also believe that God is so sovereign that he knows each one of our hearts, right? He knows your hearts. And this verse says he appointed some to believe. So if you believe Romans 13 that God appoints rulers and kings and he's in control of Putin, he knows what's going on, he knows the end of the world, why wouldn't you think that he knew you before you uh, became a Christian? And he moved you along and he guided your steps and at one bright moment the Holy Spirit opened your heart, God appointed you to salvation and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He appoints some to be believers, but he also appoints some to be unbelievers. Remember uh, Howard Hendricks, Marty uh, used this in Revelation, if the, the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense, or keep the main things the main things and the plain things the plain things. Well, for me, when, when I see he appointed some to eternal life, I keep the plain thing to plain thing, the main things the main things. It just makes sense. It makes common sense. So he uh, he urged, uh, as we get in 1443, the church urged them to continue in the grace of God. When they got back to home base after 14 stops, they he urged them. They they said continue in this grace of God, even though you're beaten and bruised. No truth glorifies God more than grace. Because grace is a free gift we cannot earn, we cannot deserve. Because, men, God is a saving God. He is purely sovereign over all things. That is what is so amazing about grace, is that it cannot be earned. So, one of the blanks is salvific love. Salvific love is not unconditionally universal. Remember, we saw in our verse that he appoints some for eternal life. God's love flows through Christ to our hearts, from Christ. Those who are in Christ, the wrath of God flows not towards us, but towards sinners. The grace of God, the sovereignty of God, the election of the saved is a marvelous example of his holiness. That he loved me so much, why do I get the grace? Why? Why me? Why me? Oh, it's not poor, poor, pitiful me. It is thank you, Lord Jesus, for choosing me. So, 
none seek God on their own. You got to look at the reaction they had to Paul and Barnabas, didn't they? They they were angry at the gospel because why wouldn't they be? They're fighting against it. They're they're sons of the devil. So we rob God the glory that is due him when we think that we have achieved salvation by anything we have done. We rob God of glory when we take the benefits of God working through us and call them our own. Don't diminish the cross. That diminishes the cross. It diminishes God's glory. So God's holiness demands an atonement, a payment for our sins, a propitiation, a payment for the penalty of sin, only found in Christ's sacrifice. I love Romans 9. I love this verse because it gives me such great comfort when I realize what a wretch I am and that God still loved me, that God still chose me. And doesn't that make your heart want to sing? Doesn't it make your heart want to share this with others? Grace is free. The gospel is free. Unimaginably beautiful. Divinely given. And here's the last blank, I believe. Grace is a pride crusher. There is nothing I can do. Grace is a pride crusher. So this was their message, teaching and preaching throughout the land, that they were obligated to do it because Jesus told them to. It brought anger throughout the land. All of these 14 places, they faced persecution. And they, told, they found people who were appointed for the gospel. Some Jews and now the Gentiles. And that's what we'll get into in the next few weeks. So I ask you to just please join me as I pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, being able to open the, the scriptures this morning. I thank you for your holy scriptures, uh, your word given to us in the form of a book. Lord, I pray that you bless our conversations. Lord, I, I pray that, that we will be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world, that we will not faint from anger that, is, that the gospel brings, but they will be bold as lions, knowing that the gospel of grace changes everything. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.